0: Everybody. welcome to cover four live i'm brandon adams happy to have you and the entire dog nation t- team on hand tonight mike griffith jeff Sintel, connor riley a lot to discuss as george gets ready to go to knoxville on saturday and take on the tennessee balls and as you see on the screen obviously a happy veterans day there as well to those who served in our audience and to those who served in our panel mike griffith obviously important to you there on the- oh is that oh, wow what a cool photo that's that's Terrific. That's that's really something. Uh, a lot of folks are aware of this, but uh, Mike was in the um, was in the uh, is it the airborne infantry? Is that what that's called, Mike? Eighty
1: second airborne.
2: Yeah, eighty second airborne.
0: That's uh really incredible, Mike. Uh, what kind of memories do you
2: have of that? Still, I mean, it was it was uh, it was fascinating. I mean, uh, parachuting is uh, you know kind of a one one of a, one of a kind experience. But I, I think the key was Brandon for a young guy that hadn't really accomplished much, you know, I learned, uh, you know, what the value of motivation was. Sure. Uh, I learned uh, a lot about esprit de corps, uh, having good teammates like you guys and how you can accomplish synergy when everybody works towards the same goal. And, and uh, you know, it might sound a bit cliche, but you know, that that flag on our shoulder was, was the symbol that we were all willing to die without for, question. without question, without cause. Uh, you looked down on your arm when you wondered why you did things. And it was because it represented something greater than you. It represented your ancestors. It represented your future, your family. And that, that's what that flag meant to us. And that, that was all we needed to know yeah. uh, to accomplish our mission. So there was a lot of things that came out of that for me. And, and I also was able to get some college money, um, that then enabled me to, uh, go to journalism school and, and, uh, pursue a career.
0: I mean this in all sincerity. That There's a lot of ways to serve your country that are less aggressive than jumping out of airplanes, though. How did you arrive at that?
2: Probably the same way all of us got to this job at Dog Nation. I mean, we could have just been journalists and written obituaries, and but we all wanted to do something a little bit extra, right? We all wanted to do something more, something more competitive, something that would separate us, something that would put us among the elite. And so, you know, we chose to cover SEC football, which, quite frankly, is the most passionate fans, Uh, I think the best fans, and in the case of Georgia, uh, you know, one of the best programs in the nation. and Very competitive market. There's a lot of great journalists. I think everyone knows uh, that work at other organizations, certainly, uh, you know, our brethren at uh, AJC, but but others around us. And so, but for me, it was, uh, honestly, it was I wanted to do something extra, and uh, I had a fear of heights, and my decision was I wanted to take on my greatest fear in life first, sure. and I felt that parachuting would do that, and uh, it did. So it worked out pretty well.
0: You know, Florida. I think it's a really fitting tribute they've been giving to our paratroopers over the course of the last few weeks. No one's done a nosedive plummet more so than the uh, Gators <laughs> have as played. So
3: I so wondered nice. when we were going to get the hard the hard turn out of, <laughs> out of, out of the Veterans Day talk. Oh, you're man. saying there. <laughs> I don't maybe I Mike would be the one that gave it to us, but B.A. there, you
0: know. You can only be serious for so long before you have to kind of go back the other direction there on that. Uh, obviously, uh, big news run the Georgia program today, and it's disappointing news. Uh, a guy that I was really thrilled to see back playing last week had a touchdown. It's a guy that, you know, is a home run hitter when he plays, Arian Smith, and obviously news reports today, uh, including our own here at dognation.com, our own uh, confirmed uh, reporting that Smith is now out for the rest of the year. Uh, I, I guess, Connor, fill us in on the details on this, and then we'll kind of get into uh, to everything else.
3: Yeah, Arian Smith, uh, I just believe he broke a bone in his leg, is potentially expected to miss the rest of the season. Uh, happened in practice on Wednesday, and it's a real bummer for Smith. He had sort of just gotten back to being healthy enough to really play and look like himself uh, this past Saturday against Missouri. You see the explosiveness that he has. And while he only has five career catches, and he only played in 21 snaps for Georgia this year, he already has three touchdown catches, and I think when you're projecting what this offense could look like, which it feels like we've been doing for all season now, his explosiveness and ability to run past people is something that really Georgia can't replace on its team right now. I, I don't think there are a lot of guys in the country that can replicate how, how fast Smith runs and the danger that he brings as a deep threat there. So in projecting this offense forward, sure, if you look at the stat sheet, Georgia might not lose a loss, but if this Georgia – Offense is going to reach the best version of itself. You are probably going to need Smith out there at least stretching the field because when he is on the field, Missouri noticed this when he was out there on Saturday on the first play that he was out there. They have to pay extra special attention to him because of his deep threat ability.
0: Yeah, Jeff, I agree with almost everything that Connor said there, that you know, because of the unique characteristics that Smith possesses, no one else in the Georgia roster really comes close to matching his speed, the ability to take a top off a defense you know, to to hear that he's not going to be able to do that for showing you a flash of what he was able to do on Saturday, you know, I I think that's a pretty big setback for the Georgia offense. To me, it's just an example of Georgia may be good enough to win it all, but they're never going to be as good as they could have been with guys like this not flying.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great, uh, great nosedive or free fall into uh, what we're talking about here, Brandon, because, I mean, mean, if the Georgia team ever does win this natty and it happens this year, uh, I think a great thirty for thirty would be all the potential pieces that will likely go on to Sunday futures that are just unavailable. Not, I mean, it's tempting and it's tantalizing, but it's almost like you just got a whisper of what Georgia could be with Arian Smith. Maybe that's just fleeting moments because he's so uh, fleet of foot, but and then it's gone just like that in an instant, in an instant, in a flash. And I, I know, I know, it takes away, you know potential home run hitter, potential exclamation point. But, I mean, let's face it. I mean, I don't know if Arian Smith had moved into the major contributor phase yet for this program. It was a potential contributor phase, which we we find saying a lot right now with this offense in terms of – I like to call them potential sticks of dynamite, and it seemed like the fuse just got lit with Arian Smith. And, man, it, it is what it is. I mean, I'd love to see any other team in the top ten – take away probably i think it's fair to say guys if you had to look at it maybe six of the top 20 players uh are not available uh for this season at least six of the top 2025 20, and yet here they are still chugging along like a locomotive at number one in the country
0: mike what do you think the uh, smith injury means here is this a does he know he's muted or is he just pretending
2: I was just pretending. Okay, good. good, good. I, could, I couldn't tell.
1: Uh, it, was not, it was not.
2: <laughs> I, I was saying that's a heck of a take from uh, Centel there. I really, uh, really put that one together there, Jeff. Um, it's true. I mean, you think about how dynamic Georgia could be, and I think Brandon, you know, put that well. As good as this Georgia team is, they could be even better. It's kind of scary if you plug in a Pickens and Blaylock and Arian Smith. I mean. When we talk about world class speed, I mean, guys, we're talking about this guy ran a four two three forty when they did their combine day. Nobody else. There were two guys, I think, in the four threes. I want to say uh, Burton and one other guy was a high four three. And then you got into Anna Manerson at like four four five, who was faster than all the running backs. And 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 he's out. Jamari Sailors out. Your your best offensive lineman, uh, maybe not most talented or highest ceiling, but currently your best lineman. Uh, it, it's really remarkable what they've accomplished. I, what does it do? You know, that's intriguing to me because I feel like part of the reason why we probably – I still think we're going to see more JT Daniels, but when Kirby talks about the offense, part of JT's Stetson decision has to do with the personnel package. And when you don't have a lot of healthy receivers, I don't think that favors JT. I think that lends itself more to the double tight end look, the run game, uh, the shot offense, right, where you're going to only throw 15 to 20 passes a game. But when you do, you go deep. Otherwise, you pound it. But when you have multiple receivers, Arian being one of them, Burton also back, I might add, I think that makes Kirby more inclined to go with three and four receiver looks and and go with more of the, 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 the passer, if you will, in JT. So I wonder if it affects that at all. Uh, but to your point, Brandon, I think when teams played Georgia and number 11 was out there, He's one of those high-alert guys. Like, hey, that guy there can get behind you real fast, as Missouri found out.
0: You know, Connor, I've just been of the belief that if Georgia to win a national championship, a big play is going to be made in December or January, maybe even still in November, but certainly December, January, by somebody that maybe hasn't been the provider of the big plays thus far. And I had said over on my show a few times that I had a little bit of a fan's intuition that Arian Smith might be that guy. You know, coming back from injury – because of what we've all described that he was able to do, that he's the kind of guy I could see having a big play that, you know, allows George to win a close game or something like that. And now he's obviously not going to be able to do that. So I'm kind of left to wonder, okay, well, well, who does step up? I mean, I've still got the Atlanta Braves in my mind, you know, Eddie Rosario and Jorge Soler, all these guys that were not even considerations for Braves fans going back in the springtime. They're the ones that are making the big plays in the postseason. Championship teams a lot of times have a quotient like that where – you know, at the beginning of the year, we're talking about this guy and that guy and that guy, but come December, January, now you're talking about this guy, that guy, and that guy. I mean, you know, is there somebody now in the kind of post-Arian Smith injury world that you could say, okay, you haven't called on him much, but you could call on when you need to, and he may be one of those guys that has some late-season heroics for you because it seems like all championship teams have
3: somebody like that that sort of steps up late. Well, in terms of what I think this Georgia offense wants to do in terms of replacing Arian Smith's potential, I think the two guys – or Jermaine Burton and Ladd McConkey. I think you saw what Jermaine could do, and I thought that that like one, the 47-yard catch that he just snatched away from the Missouri defender last week was really impressive, especially with the physicality that he had showed on that play there. And I think he does have the explosiveness to stretch the field. And so I think he's someone, as he gets healthier, is going to continue to become a big part of the offense, as we all sort of expected. But I, I think with no Aryan out there, that's going to increase the amount of time that Ladd McConkey is on the field. Ladd McConkey may not have the straight line speed that Arian Smith has, but he's got an ability to get open and he's shown he can make big plays down the field in terms of stretching this team vertically. I will note, I wonder if maybe this, you know, with with the loss of a big play threat, maybe this changes the way this Georgia offense chooses to attack. You think back to that 2019 LSU team, where they so clearly excelled was attacking those fifteen to twenty yard throws mm-hmm. in the middle of the field, an area I'd say J.T. Daniels really excels at. And I wonder if, as, as we get deeper into the season, potentially we see him play. Maybe a guy like Darnell Washington gets more touches there because that's an area where we've seen him when he's gotten touches in those situations. Obviously, Brock Bowers we know about, but Darnell is a guy who unlimited touches so far. We've seen he can take a you know a five to ten yard catch and stretch that into a bigger play there. So I think Darnell Washington could be a guy in the passing game, Well, everyone obviously has big expectations for him, I think is a way to stretch the field and take advantage of areas that won't be heavily guarded. I think Darnell could be a guy that sees some extra touches.
0: That's a very interesting take on that. Jeff, I guess we're going to finish with this. Foster Moss brings this up. I mean, I'm quoting him saying, I mean, Georgia's essentially played without Arian Smith all season long, so how big of a deal is this really? I think my issue, though, on this is I'm projecting for what's going to happen when Georgia plays a close game. I think eventually Georgia's destined due to play a close game against somebody, whether it's this Saturday against Tennessee or you know, in the SEC championship, the college football playoff. Georgia's going to be challenged uh, to use everything at its disposal at some point in time. It's hard to imagine Georgia winning a national championship without doing that. So when I'm talking about the, the value that Smith potentially brings to the table, I'm more projecting that in a game in which you need every weapon at your disposal And as I said before, at some point in time, Georgia's going to be in one of those kinds of games and now it won't have its speediest receiver available to it.
1: Yeah, I wonder. I think a lot of people are hitting the right notes with uh, maybe that gets more balls to Darnell Washington. Maybe that allows Brock Bowers to be even more of himself than he's been. Uh, The other thing you think about, I don't know, if we all were were, really had to maybe put a Coca cola on it, would we say that was Arian Smith going to catch – four more passes this year and maybe three or three of them would have been touchdowns was he going to catch 20 more passes and maybe eight of them would have been big plays I mean that's probably the role he might have mushroomed into if he was kind of playing in his best self so I think um, it's getting to the point where you just know is going to have to find three or four receivers there may just be the three or four receivers that are left healthy with maybe a you know, is it Rosamie Jack Saint? I think the, the, the steady Eddies, so to speak, not to confuse them with Eddie the Blind Squirrel, but the steady Eddies, I mean, that, those guys down the stretch might probably have to be the Ladd McConkeys of the world, the Jermaine Burtons of the world, and maybe even, um, I don't even want to tempt fate by saying Dominic Blaylock yet, but uh, maybe, maybe maybe it's just, you know, continuing to feed those two backs, um, continuing to get more James Cook touches or feed those two tight ends, because we know Georgia's not going to throw the ball 20, 30 times a game. Likely. Uh, so you wonder – I think it just takes out takes off the fear factor of Georgia's offense a lot, uh, and maybe it just causes Georgia to just do more Georgia down the stretch.
0: It's Color 4 Live. That was Jeff Sintel, Connor Riley, Mike Griffith on hand. I'm Brandon Adams. Happy to have you with us as we go through everything that's going on with Georgia football here right now, including the game on Saturday against Tennessee. In fact, let's turn our attention to that right now. Mike, you said something interesting a moment ago. It sounds like I'm hearing you say your prediction is – you expect JT Daniels to play more against Tennessee than he played against Missouri. So let me kind of drill down on that with you if you don't mind. Do you think Daniels plays in the first half on Saturday?
2: I I, I really don't have a, a strong opinion on that. Um, I really don't know. Uh, I just feel like JT is getting stronger and better. Kirby made a reference, uh, unsolicited reference, where he dropped JT. And I don't know, Connor, if you remember that. We were talking about the – receivers coming back and he said you don't just throw these guys out there you got to go through a process whether it's dom or now jt darnell Gamble.
3: tyke jt yeah we're
2: going where did that come from i thought jt was all the way back maybe that was kirby's way of telling us that that there that in his mind you know he wanted to see more from jt i mean he is very cautious with jt we saw that last year that could jt have played earlier yes but Kirby wasn't comfortable that JT was strong enough. I mean, he has a very high threshold, I think, for players before they return from injury. I'm starting to get optimistic, guys, that George Pickens is going to be back for the SEC championship game. In fact, I'd say there's a better than 50-50 chance that George Pickens is back for the SEC championship game. I don't know that I necessarily uh, was ever completely bought in on that, but it certainly sounds like and based on what Kirby told us about George being elevated to the scout team and the relevance there is the the man-on-man. Man. He's not just going against there anymore. He's, he's going against another body. He could come down on somebody's foot. this is That's a pretty substantial step. I almost think George is further along than Dom. Um, and once Pickens gets back, right, we, we'll forget about Arian Smith quickly be, because Arian was never going to be a 25-catch guy this year. You know, the fact is he, he missed part of spring. Um, you know, he, he's still getting comfortable in the offense. Uh, he was absolutely a weapon, but he wasn't a guy you were going to target four or five plays a game to Jeff's point. I still think you miss him because when you did use him, he's devastating. I, mean, I think the guy's averaging like 33 yards and and encounter my decided it three of his five career catches or touchdown passes. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous, but, um, Getting back to your question, Bia, I know I'm, I'm kind of stumbling around it. I, I don't have a hard and fast answer. I don't, I don't know that there's that there is an answer. I think this is very fluid, but I do think that JT is on the table for Kirby more than he was a week ago.
0: Kirby's advisor says I look mad at Mike. Man, y'all don't get all of y'all know I don't have a good listening face, and you know I'm super self conscious about this. This has been going on around Dog Nation for years. I don't have a good listening face. My listening face is this. <laughs> and, I, and i try not to and i try to smile i try to do whatever y'all can't be giving me grief about my listening face y'all know I, i've never had a good uh what is it uh rbf
2: I, i've never had a, uh, a a good listening face it's never gonna be true well, i'm um, glad you told me that because i've always thought you were mad at me too now i know that all this time you haven't been mad at me I, this changes everything look if you
0: watch dog nation daily there's a reason why when the guest is talking, I'm not on screen because I don't have a good listening face. <laughs> like if you watch the show, I ask the question. And as soon as uh, the, as soon as I stop talking, which is rare, but in, in, in the rare moments, when y'all stop talking, they'll put something else in the screen while somebody else is talking. I don't have a, uh, I don't have a good listening face. I don't even remember what we're talking about, but um, uh, the, the point is though, Tennessee on Saturday, Connor, what do you expect to see?
3: Well, we were talking about JG Daniels. Do we see him? I do think we see him. Again, I sort of like last week, I'm not sure if it's dictated by score or situation. I do think um, I'm zagging here, and I think Georgia puts this game away early. Um, I, I I, think this Georgia defense has heard uh, all about this Tennessee offense this week and how explosive it is and how they're able to score from anywhere on the field. I think this Georgia defense relishes a challenge and looks forward to going out there and slowing down Hedden Hooker and Josh Heupel in this Tennessee offense. I'm will. i I'm interested in the comment Mike made about seeing Pickens for the SEC championship game because part of me wonders, because he's not officially cleared yet as far as we know, and I think he's maybe running out of runway a little bit if that clearance doesn't happen soon. Now, knowing my luck, it could happen tomorrow. Uh, but if he's not cleared to return, what we know about the scout team and guys coming back, it is not – You're cleared to play and you're coming back. And I know he's already working on the scout team. But even from there, it takes two to three weeks to ramp up and get to where he sort of needs to be physically to be on the field. You saw that with Julian Rochester. You saw it last year with JT Daniels as well. Darnell Washington, another name worth mentioning there. So uh, as far as George Pickens in the SEC championship game – If it doesn't happen within the next week where he's cleared and and then ramping up his practice reps, I am a little dubious that we're going to see him there for that game.
0: I mean, my thing, Jeff, on Pickens has always been, I take it as quite comforting, and I'm saying this as someone who's not just a Georgia fan, but someone who's particularly a fan of Pickens. I just have always been so entertained by him. I I take it as quite comforting that Pickens is just around the program as much as he is. You know, when Mike and the guys – were uh connor was there too i guess when they were at practice of the day you know you see pickens and you see him running those routes against air i remember seeing him at the auburn game and i think he was at jacksonville there as well you see him on sidelines for home games you know if this is 2020 i don't mean you know to pick on guys but you know like you know you got guys opting out and they're just gone you know they're they're just nowhere to be found but george pickens has not been an opt-out for georgia here this year he's been injured not able to play but his physical presence has been around the program and as long as they keep winning and as long as it keeps looking like a lot of fun, all of a sudden, you know, sticking that toe in the water and jumping back in that pool, it just, it just remains a possibility. Now, as far as when you, you know, have to be cleared and things like that, I'm not, you know, smart enough to know that, but I, I do know this, as long as he's only an arm's length away, the chances of him making his way back to that football field, you know, they certainly aren't zero right now.
1: Yeah. I, 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 here's my thing on Pickens and I, And it's – I agree with everything you basically said there, Brandon, because he's not check please, literally check please. He's not that. And I think he kind of wants to be a part of this. Everything Kirby's always said is he loves to play football. Great great teammate, great locker room guy. Loves playing football. And I think the the honest truth of it all is if George Pickens never plays another down on college football, maybe that's the safest thing for him to do. He might be a second, third-round pick. But then if he plays, if he plays maybe the last two or three games of Georgia's season, and if he gets two or three games of Georgia's season, I know there's probably going to be at least at least two touchdowns, or at least two or three big plays in there. That's the one thing I want to counsel people about. I see this all the time, even with elite athletes, five-star athletes in high school football. Just because they're back and they're cleared, everybody expects them to go back to warp speed and their best. And that's going to be really hard to do, even with an such a natural instinctive, go get it pass catcher like Pickens. Like we all know Pickens is not going to have to run crisp routes to make a play for Georgia. Cause he hasn't really ran crispy routes so far to make oodles of plays for Georgia. I think, a I think, you know, we look for storylines and we look for the great ending or we look for the great twists. What about in this season of Georgia losing piece by piece by piece What if Brandon gets one of those guys running into the squared circle from the locker room up and down the up and down the aisle and he is a gangbusters player like a George Pickens? I think if football karma has anything to do with it, they take away, they get back. Wouldn't it be special to see Pickens maybe at 80, 90 percent of what he used to be? or what he was at his peak, uh, playing for Georgia down the stretch in some really big December games.
0: I mean, Mike, I'll make a reference to something happened before I was done, uh, before, I should say before I was born, but, you know, when uh, when Willis, Willis Reed came back on the floor for the Knicks back in like the 1970 NBA Finals, he only had, I think, two points or something like that, but his presence obviously lifted uh, listed New York there that day. And so, you know, if Pickens comes back in place, I don't know that I need him to be Georgia's best receiver. I just need him out there. And I, I just think that, in a season in which so much of what George has done has been about chemistry and so much of what George has done has been about the emotional lift that players provide themselves, kind of a selfless team, I would say, just the presence of Pickens, even if he's not you know, quite the same guy that we've seen in you know, certainly the Cincinnati game a year ago or the, or the Baylor game and the bowl game the year before that. He's had a penchant for great play in January. Even if he's not quite at that level physically, just being on the field would be an emotional lift for George, I think. He did it again.
2: And I can't he, tell if you're joking or not.
1: Gotta let him go. It's Veterans Day. Gotta get. Gotta give him a salute. Like, gotta give him that. Nope.
2: Can't call him out. I think. I think that when George comes back, he'll be George. I, I think there's only one speed for George Pickens. I think he's that special of a player. I, I don't think you'll see a, a George Pickens where you'll go, oh, he would have made that catch before. George is fearless. He strikes me, and I know a lot of these players a big part of the comeback is the mental aspect of it and trusting the knee. And that that's not how George strikes me and haven't seen him run routes. And I know Connor's seen him as well. And I've seen him at each opportunity. This is not a guy that's holding back in the least. And if you look at the way he's built, you know, he's not a very heavy guy. So it's not like uh, he's just incredibly fluid. I guess what I'm saying, BA is I, I would agree with your point, but I don't think that Kirby would play him just, you know, because it's, a, you know, it, he's pretty good. I, I think when George comes back, I think you're going to see the whole Pickens effect. I mean, he has looked good for over a month running routes on air. And I could be wrong, but he doesn't strike me as someone that has the capability of holding back even when he wants to, certainly not with a water bottle or when he plays George Tech.
0: Connor, you, you got your hand up. Go ahead.
3: Yeah. So my brain's churning and – Thinking about the way this Georgia season plays out, and looking at the college football playoff, which I know we're going to get to in a minute here, but let's say Alabama loses to Auburn, and it's Texas A&M in that game uh, in the SEC championship game. Is there maybe does that does the fact that that is not potentially a uh, you know, a, a game where I think at that point If Alabama is not in the SEC championship game I think Georgia can even more afford a loss in that situation Assuming they're going to be undefeated Which I believe we all here believe Does that only further encourage Kirby to be cautious Because to the point Mike made You don't need to put him out there against Charleston Southern You don't need to put him out there against Georgia Tech You need to put him out there in games that are going to potentially Win you a, you know, college football playoff game Is the juice worth the squeeze there, to quote Mr. Griffith so uh, part of me wonders, you know, if that SEC championship game loses some of its luster, whether Alabama loses again or what have you, part of me wonders if maybe that encourages Georgia to be even more cautious with George Pickens. Because again, this, with all that he has to play for him, you only bring him back if you know he is in a position to help you win a game that you could not win without him.
0: Well, I'm going to aggravate you by saying this, Connor, but I'm going to say it this way. I think Alabama's the toughest opponent that Georgia can still play. I believe that Ohio State's the second toughest opponent that Georgia can still play. I'm starting to think that Texas A&M may be the third toughest opponent that Georgia could play.
3: I'd actually – I think with the way Texas A&M plays and the way we've seen Georgia struggle this year – I actually think Texas A&M is the team in the country that could potentially give Georgia the most trouble, at least with what they do defensively.
0: I mean, we'll get into our playoff conversation a little bit later on. I think there are three teams right now that I view as legit playoff contenders that I don't think are getting enough conversation. One of those is Michigan, and they got talked about plenty this week. But the other two for me are Notre Dame and Texas A&M. A&M at 11 right now, two losses coming early in the season when they were getting over an injury to a starting quarterback. I think A&M in an SEC title game, and there's a chance it happens. Alabama has lost the last two times. It's gone to Auburn, and that's where they are again here this year. It is not a foregone conclusion that Alabama wins the SEC West. And a national championship run for Georgia, as Connor said, you may not play a tougher game than what you might get from Texas A&M. I still kind of value what Ohio State's capable of doing offensively, but the last couple of weeks, A&M has looked better than Ohio State. Jeff, I think I saw your hand in the air. Jump in here if you'd like to. Yeah,
1: I mean, that's the thing. It's funny it's funny look how the narrative has changed what was in the beginning of the year it was Georgia are they going to get in a in a fireworks show with another prolific offense and then the could they keep up and now we're talking about the teams that are the, the the spoils the most likely foils for Georgia's season and it's a Texas A&M team where their fan base is really not happy with their quarterback play or their offensive output but they got a pretty salty and a pretty sporty defense and it's it might be the way that Texas A&M threatens a Georgia would be to kind of, kind of play the way Georgia's playing this year a little bit with really hard defense. I mean, Texas A&M they showed that they can cover. They they showed that they can uh, definitely um, stop the run. And they, I mean, they're playing very solidly in the SEC West. I just in the back of my mind, I just hear I just hear Bama. I hear Bama. Mm-hmm. I hear Will Anderson. I hear all those young guys getting better. And remember, we all said at the beginning of this year. I think all of this said again this year is like Alabama's best players are finally going to be ready and hitting the field right around November or December anyway, uh, and and I think that's something to really think about. I know that's great points about how uh, Alabama usually finds trouble in Jordan Hare Stadium and wrecks a lot of their seasons, but um, I think this is an Alabama team that's just built differently. Where a lot of those other teams had a lot of really strong veterans. That we're kind of playing the whole year. And I think Alabama's just going to start coming to his own over the next three or four weeks of the year.
0: I'm laughing at Jeremy in the comment section. who wants some of my old UGA gear, mentioning a cardigan, which makes me think, maybe I should wear that cardigan again. I hadn't worn that in a while. I'll have to pull that back out. uh Mike Griffith, you know, I, I talked about this on Dog Nation Daily this week that you want to go back over the years, certainly as recently as March of this year. You know, Nick Saban's walking around about, oh, you know, uh, uh, the sports change. You got to score 100 points a game now. You can't play defense. You can't run the football anymore. But if you look at the way the 2021 is operating right now, it's really funny how the mountain has kind of moved back in the direction of not just Kirby Smart, what they're doing in Georgia right now. Uh, although uh, offensively, they're you know first in the SEC in yards per play, second point scored. You know they're they're doing plenty offensively, but but they are not playing Big 12 style football right now nor is Texas a either, and that was used to the tune of beating Alabama a little earlier this season. You saw Auburn beat Ole Miss the other day. Certainly the Mike Bobo offense is not really Big 12-style football either. Oregon's a fairly conservative offensive team. Michigan State's a fairly conservative offensive team. You know, is the offensive revo- re- uh, revolution that Nick Saban was sure was taking place in college football, is, is Saban perhaps wrong about some of that?
2: No, I, I just think that I think that this year, a lot of the great quarterbacks moved on. Um, I think you got a lot of young quarterbacks outside of of Matt Corral in the SEC. Uh, A lot of youth out there. I I think ultimately that's that's still what it takes. And you know, Georgia hasn't won the national championship yet. You Mm -hmm. know, they haven't really run into an opponent. I mean, if we're being honest, I mean, Auburn is the best team they've played so far. That's not Georgia's fault if you look at the schedule. I mean, you could say Arkansas is a great team, but that day they weren't. You know, K.J. Jefferson wasn't 100% and Sanford Stadium took over. And it was 21-0, to you know, before, you know, Sam Pittman could blink his eyes, you know, between the crowd noise, the momentum Georgia had early. Uh, but you look at when Georgia's caught teams, and, and I think it's been somewhat fortuitous, right? I mean, Florida had lost a 49-42 shootout to LSU – and yet it's three to zero. They hold Georgia to three points until three minutes left in the first half, and you're going, boy, that's that's crazy. So I, I'm not convinced that that it's come full cycle and and the days of dynamic offenses are over with. I just think this particular season, you know, uh, Kirby manages each game to win, and at the time they've played each opponent, this is this is what's been required to win. Could Tennessee take Kirby out of that? ground and pound comfort zone maybe maybe not jeff uh, has a comment
1: yeah brandon i would love this tell me how you would like this i think the news is leaking out that uh can we get a uh, scott cochran um remake of when georgia wore black because i mean i think it's it's showing across the interwebs right now how tennessee is wearing
3: black everybody insert their is own that official humor.
0: now i'd seen the rumor earlier this week is that now official
3: Tennessee football account has announced that they're going to be wearing all black on Saturday. And
0: I, it's funny that you bring this up. I had thought about that. Obviously, uh, it's great to see Scott Cochran back around the Georgia program again. And obviously, folks, remember 2008, what he said about Georgia wearing its black jerseys back when he worked for Alabama. I'm guessing that he may be called upon to (laughs) reprise some of that here for Tennessee here this week, which I think would be absolutely uh, appropriate. And listen, you know... Tennessee man they are they are they are something else so the black jerseys the black uniforms coming out there maybe Scott Cocker will get a chance to 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 bring back his funeral riff I'd certainly love to see it Connor go ahead
3: yeah just one quick thing on the B.A.'s point that it's moving back away from offense B. A., uh Texas B.A. and M. Uh, and I gotta give a credit there to Jonathan Moore the commenter that came up with that I'm gonna use that all the time now <laughs> what was the score of the Texas A&M Alabama game story 28 right it was forty-one to thirty-eight. Well, you right. still got to win. You still against these elite teams. You still got to win with offense. But I, I know defense is carrying the day right now. Look, if you think Georgia's going to win without scoring thirty points on Alabama, I wish you luck.
0: Say it again now. I'm sorry. I'm gonna say the last thing again.
3: If you think Georgia is going to win scoring less than thirty points against Alabama? Oh, no, I don't. Yeah,
0: no, I, I don't. I don't dispute that. I, I, I don't dispute that at all, um, Mike. You had your hand
2: up a moment ago. Yeah, I was just going to say that. I went to the Josh Heupel press conference today and there's an unquestionable air of, of confidence from Josh, not cockiness, but confidence. And I thought it was interesting when I asked him, um, you know, what wrinkles and how he's evolved since Missouri, because Kirby made a reference to, you know, how Josh Heupel has done a good job and he's added a few wrinkles since Missouri. Well, Georgia obviously dominated in 2017 and won the 2016 game 28-27. And and coach Heipel's response was, "Well, it has to do with players, you know, whether we're talking about Missouri or the 2014 Sugar Bowl." And I went, "Whoa, he just dropped that on Kirby when Oklahoma blasted a Kirby Smart defense in the 2014 Sugar Bowl." He just quit, he just conveniently drop that game. It's almost like him and Kirby have this classy trash talking going on. Between the lines, trash talking. For example, do they? I think so. Like Kirby says, it's one of the hottest teams in the nation on offense. And and Hypel says, it's one of the best teams we've seen statistically. You know, you're like, did they really need that little? I mean it's like there's a there's a respect there, but there's hypel the former quarterback, and there's smart. The former safety, and there's just this little extra plane of competition and gamesmanship that I just kind of sense. I mean, there's a respect, but like it's not an accident that Heupel dropped the 2014 Sugar Bowl any more than it's an accident that Kirby brought up the games at Missouri. So I, I just I always try to listen between the lines, and uh, and, and Heupel's a gamer. I like this guy. Uh, this is this. I don't. I don't know how much of a chance he's got because I think they're going to get to the quarterback. And I'm kind of with Connor on the sense that I'm not sure this game's going to be as close. Especially now that they're wearing the black jerseys. I mean, they may have. They may have awakened sleeping dogs. I mean, first of all, George is the homecoming opponent. Now you've got black jerseys, and oh by the way, Peyton Manning's going to be there. So it's all. It's it's kind of. It's enough to really. Kirby's got plenty to work with in the locker room. Connor, go ahead. I do have a bold
3: prediction. All right. I like think we're going to see Kirby Smart on the Manning cast on Monday. Oh, wow. He's going to be talking about a Georgia win over Tennessee on Saturday. That a is big A big Georgia win.
0: That is a bold over. prediction. By the way, the Manning cast kind of fizzled out a little bit, hasn't it? Well,
3: they what's weren't what's on about? last week. But Someone said
0: the same thing about Cover 4 Live. but um, uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. But It seems like it's kind of lost. I, I feel like that used to be more in the uh, – and I, I still offense, enjoy it.
1: I, I will take no slander of the Manning Night Football Manning cast on this Cover 4 broadcast. When they want to work, when they want to show up and cook, that's a great program. By the way, Look, they're not accus-
3: Look the Manning brothers are not falsely accusing Najee Harris of sleeping on the floor at Alabama, so they do have that going for them.
0: Wait, who did that?
3: Uh, Steve Levy said on the uh, sh- on Monday Steelers-Bears game that Najee Harris – was sleeping on the floor uh, in his early time at Alabama because he was more comfortable on the floor than in a bed. And Najee was like, that is just not true immediately after the game ended.
0: You know who did do that, though? And I hope I'm not going to get in trouble for saying this. I think David Pollack used to sleep on the floor. Um, Interesting. I think – I hope I'm not making something up here, but I think Pollack told me that himself That in his (laughs) early days. I never understood, Like like – he would sleep on the floor before this is like in like 2002
3: when he was a good player he would sleep on the floor i think that's true oh, i'm not making that up pretty sure that's true um maybe- david pollock's gonna tweet about our show i have never slept on the floor <laughs> it's,
0: it's a it's a new uh nine But i'm pretty sure i'm right about that i think pollock uh said that at one point in time by the way jeff i think jerry swafford asked this in the comment section earlier um is that ken griffey jr is that what you're wearing Sure, man. It's your favorite player's favorite player. Look at that, man. That's
1: old Griffey Jr. blowing a bubble gu- blowing a bubble right there,
0: man. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, really cool. Yeah. Big, big Griffey guy from back in the 90s. No uh no question about that. All right, let's shift gears to this. It was a big day for Georgia in the recruiting front class of 2023. Raymond Cottrell, a four-star wide receiver in the class, uh, one cycle ahead, uh, committed to Georgia, which is always good news. What makes it extra especially interesting is that he flipped from Florida to do so in the midst of everything else going on with the Gators program to take another. Uh, commit away from Florida is certainly a pretty juicy idea, and it's perhaps a little bit of a precursor to what might go down with four-star defensive back Julian Humphrey there as well. Uh, Jeff, I don't have to tell you, this is very fun for me to see Florida on such hard times right now, to see Kirby Smart as the reason for that, literally pushing him over the ledge here at the moment. Uh, Is Cottrell uh, the latest example of that in your mind? Yeah, Brandon. let Let me check out your acting chops here. Let's do a
1: dramatic reenactment of when Brandon learned about Georgia adding another member. I think it's the seventh member to their 2023 class. Yeah. Hey, Brandon, did you hear? Georgia got a commitment to 2023 class. He's a wide receiver. (laughs) He's a a wide receiver, Brandon. It's not one of those middle four-star eaters. This guy's a top 100 prospect, Brandon. Oh, and he's also a flip, Brandon. Sure. And the icing on the cake, the uh, gator tears on top of everything. It's a flip from Florida. And then his comments, Brandon, afterward, after he makes his decision, this has kind of been cooking for a while here, Uh is he actually said that he didn't feel like he was getting enough recruiting attention and he didn't like the way Florida was going about recruiting him. He wasn't talking to his position coach enough. He wasn't talking to his area recruiter enough. I mean, from top to bottom – and I, I've talked to a lot of people about the last two weeks about Florida. The only way Dan Mullen saves his job is he finds a lot of guys that can coach. Oh, a, a little bit, very good, of course, to do so at the SEC level. But he's going to have to find a lot of dudes that can recruit their hind parts off, not mm-hmm. just to keep up with Kirby Smart. But there's a lot of pieces on the Florida staff, Dan Mullen included, that their their forte is not recruiting. So they're going to need a lot of guys to kind of go above and beyond, like some of those – you know, we call Georgia's staff those black belt ninja recruiters. Well, maybe, maybe Florida needs to get some at least brown belt. I think brown belt's the belt right before the black belt. But that's what they're going to need because at the top, they just don't prioritize recruiting the same way Georgia does. When Georgia gets recruits in, man, those guys don't even have offers yet. Or those guys are just showing up, but they, they know something about a kid and they treat them like they're five stars. Florida doesn't even treat its top 100 guys like top 100 guys. And that's the biggest problem with Florida recruiting right now.
0: Connor, I said this in the show today, once it gets to be recruiting season and once Dan Mullen realizes that he's lost this 2023 wide receiver, he's going to be very disappointed. I'm sure he'll get (laughs) right to work on trying to find somebody to replace him. But in a few weeks when Dan Mullen turns his page to recruiting, man, is he going to be in for disappointment?
3: Yeah, one, Jeff said that uh, the fact that Cottrell was a flip from Florida was the icing on the cake. No, he was actually the cake. Everything else, top 100 player wide receiver that that's the icing the fact that he flipped from Florida and turning it to you know the on field here with Florida Dan Mullen does not control his fate anymore Uh, it is up to the current players on this Florida football team to determine whether or not they want Dan Mullen to be their coach going forward because if they continue to do what they did against South Carolina this past week if they do that against Missouri or they do that against Florida State I do not think Dan Mullen will be here next year because his buyout is essentially the same for each of the next three seasons. So the question just becomes, all right, are we able to ride this out and get through this year? They're not going to have a very good 2022 recruiting class, just given when these coaching hires are going Mm -hmm. to get made. And then you have early signing day coming up against that. So you've already got a, a lost 2022 recruiting class there. And it basically comes down to, all right, do we believe Mullen can correct this going forward or is this what Mullen is? And if the players sort of made it be known, hey, we're not worth playing. We're not playing for this coach anymore. They've clearly already tried to move on from defensive coordinator Todd Grantham and offensive line coach John Hervesey. So uh, the biggest thing that last Saturday did, Dan Mullen no longer controls his own fate. It is up to the players on this Florida team whether they want to continue to play for Dan Mullen. And obviously their football futures as well there. But if they have another performance like they did on Saturday, Dan Mullen is toast.
0: So Kirby's visor says I was cheesing now, basically improving my countenance. And I think part of the reason why is because like Jay Shipes, some of these guys are talking about baseball cards in the comment section now (laughs) because Jeff's got his King Griffey Jr. T-shirt on. makes me want to jump in that comment section and talk baseball cards uh, because I could do that for hours. By the way, some of y'all in the baseball card discussion are acting like you don't realize uh, baseball cards are hot as fire right now. Even some of the stuff from the 80s is actually – Doing a little better than you might think, although admittedly, a lot of that kind of stuff is overproduced. But the market in general has been a scorcher now for quite some time. Mike, I agree with exactly what Connor said a moment ago. I don't think that Mullen could afford another loss. Obviously, you know, getting rid of Grantham and Hevesy, who's not been popular with the Florida fans for quite some time, yeah. uh, that's a step in the right direction. But if something were to happen, if you fail to get this Florida team to a bowl somehow, um, or just, you know, sustain another loss before the season's done, I think that would also be the end for Mullen because I don't get the impression that, I mean, there were rumors this week about an alter, not an altercation, but a, but an exchange, a heated exchange between Strickland and Mullen in Columbia. At the end of last week's game, there were some fairly prominent voices that signal boosted that a little bit as at least a possibility. Uh, Obviously Strickland, I think wants to show he's his own man with Florida trying to get into the arms race from a facility standpoint, Florida's trying to spend money now in a way they have not uh, done before. And obviously, Strickland wants to be the caretaker of all that money, which means maybe you have to distance yourself from Mullen here a bit. But one way or another, it just doesn't seem like Dan's all that popular down there. And um, I, I think by firing the assistance, Mike, that's his way of, of maybe buying himself some time. But another loss, I think, I think completely sends that up in flames.
2: He was probably told he had to get rid of the assistants. I doubt he did that on his own volition. Sure. You know, Strickland hired him, and the last thing that Strickland wants to do is fire the coach that he hired, right, because that's his mulligan. And then he's on the clock with whoever he hires next. So Scott Strickland is his biggest proponent, wants to keep Dan. Uh, I think there was a lot of optics involved in firing Todd Grantham. People can make the case, but is the team really better? Is the next man up really a better coordinator – I don't know the answers to that question. Again, uh, I watched Georgia struggle against them for 27 to 30 minutes in Jacksonville. And I don't know, did Grantham deserve credit for that or not? I'm not quite sure. It looked like the offense uh, gave way. Was Todd Grantham supposed to stop Georgia from the 11-yard line? Was Todd Grantham responsible for a pick six? Um, you know, they The only
0: issue that. for Grantham was they brought him back after last year. I mean, they got torched defensively in their final three games. So I think the issue for Grantham really goes back to the decision to bring him back last year, something that wasn't popular with fans at the time. Unless some fans are also wrong as well.
2: But I mean, part of the issue with Grantham was the decision to even bring him back after last season. Well, if we're going to give Kirby Smart a pass, because Jordan didn't Jordan Davis didn't play against Florida, which many of us do, Um, you know, Florida lost their Mike linebacker and their leading tackler at the beginning of the season. I mean, uh, and they did a nice job with some of the transfers they picked up. I thought on the defensive line, they do have some questions in the secondary, but I, I don't think this Florida teams a, was a complete disaster. I mean, they outplayed Alabama for three quarters, this Alabama team that we're talking about that, Oh, this is the toughest test. Florida had them beat in the swamp with a couple of executed plays on fourth down and a two point conversion. Uh, what happened at Kentucky, you know, 15 penalties, seven or eight motions. I, Is that Todd Grantham with those motion penalties? He gave up 17 points uh, to Kentucky on the road. So what I'm saying is I I don't think Todd Grantham was necessarily the problem or the fix-all. I think it was optics. I think we usually see it at the end of seasons where coaches fire coordinators, um, you know, to kind of buy another year. But I think this is mostly optics. It's, uh, look, there we fixed it. Uh, You know, get off our tail now. Uh, But to your point, I do think they need to win at Missouri. Uh, I'm not sure that Florida State is a must-win. It's hard for me to gauge that. I do think that recruiting um, is going to be important. Uh, When I watched Tennessee fire Butch Jones in 2017 and broke that story the next morning from the airport, it coincided with Cade May's decommitting. Cade May's decommitting from Tennessee was the final nail in the coffin for Butch Jones, talking to John Curry about it. You know, you can lose games, but once you start losing recruits, now the ship's sinking quickly. So I would keep an eye on those recruiting classes, uh, certainly listening to, you know, Centel's Intel. Uh, when, whenever Jeff writes or posts something, I, I take note of it. Um, but I don't necessarily think that um, Strickland wants to fire Dan because here's the other question, guys. Who do you hire? Who's the slam dunk hire behind Dan Mullen? I mean, we thought – the, the chip Kelly was the first choice. He was going to be the slam dunk. And then Scott Frost was the guy everybody had to have. And in hindsight, you know, looking back on it, I don't think either one of those coaches have earned the uh, lofty salaries that they were paid when they were hired three or four years ago. Mel Tucker I, turned out to be the great hire.
0: I'll say this. I don't think that Florida's anywhere near as good a job as LSU is right now. And I would probably put Florida behind the USC job there as well. I mean, obviously, it's talent-rich state, but, man, something's going on there because the great moments of Florida football are now many years in the rearview mirror. And that's not to say that I don't think a Florida is an upper-tier job. I do, but if you're comparing it to the two high-profile jobs right now, certainly LSU, USC, I think, has its own issues to deal with. But if you told me right now I could be LSU coach or Florida coach, I'm taking LSU and I'm running with that. It's just simply not in the same category of, uh, of job for me, And I think that's probably a fair thing to point out. And, you know, listen, I think it's probably also fair to say that by Mullen making the, the move, and I think he could, could very well have been instructed to do that, that it may be only prolonging what's eventually going to happen. Uh, but for a lot of Florida fans, this was overdue. They, the, the position coaches have been popular for a while and uh, them hasn't been very popular either. So uh, we'll see how that plays out. However, if they lose to Florida State at the end of the season, uh, they'll fire Mullen before the sun comes up on Sunday. That's – you know, they – this is not a year to be losing to Florida State, given everything that program has kind of gone through there. But that said, we'll uh, shift gears and uh, change our attention over to this with the uh, second week's worth of college football playoff top 25 rankings coming out this past Tuesday, inching closer to the ones that actually matter – the ones that will put you in the college football uh, playoff. So we uh, looked back on this a few weeks ago and gave our thoughts at the time, and there's been some evolution since then. So, Connor, I guess I'll start with you. Who would be in your playoff four right
3: now? We're going right now or what we think it's going to be at the end of the season? Uh, I guess I, 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 guess do I don't both? really
0: know. Yeah, yeah do, do whatever you want.
3: So right now I would have a top four of – I would have Georgia one – I would have Alabama two. I would have Oregon three, and I would have Ohio State four. I agree with the committee there. As That's what you as do what right now. Course. That is what I would do right now. Especially okay. with, and look, I, I would say I've been the most pro Cincinnati person here, but you have to start winning games more convincingly. That's you know, right. I, I can understand a one off against a Navy triple option team. You can't do that against Tulsa.
0: Yeah, the last three weeks, bottom 25 competition. They haven't looked yeah. good against any of
3: them. I would say if you're asking me what I think it is going to be on December 5th, the playoff four, I have Georgia at number one. I have Oregon at – no, I don't have Oregon at number two. Yeah, I'll take Oregon at number two. I think Oregon is going to win out. I have Michigan at number three. Okay. And I have Oklahoma at number four. I have I been I, look
0: part of this conversation. I do. I
3: I I know Michigan State won that game. Uh, I think Michigan State Michigan is the better team over the course of the season, and I give a lot of credit to Mel Tucker for winning that day. And I can hear you chuckling, Mike. I feel like an idiot. I feel like Charlie Brown going to kick the football. Ohio State might pull it out away from me, but I, I think I, I think I like what I've seen out of this Michigan team, the talent that they have there, and the, quite frankly, the way this Ohio State program has struggled. Against good competition, if you don't score in the red zone, you're going to lose those type of games. And that's the most alarming thing. It's not the defense or anything else there with Ohio State. They don't score consistently enough in the red zone in recent weeks. So that's sort of why I'm going Michigan there. And then Oklahoma, I think they're going to win out. But they have just been so unimpressive that I think they're going to end up being the number four team. And when you factor in the impressive victories that both Ohio State and Michigan are going to have, I think that's going to propel those two teams ahead of Oklahoma
2: there. Mike, what do you think? I think uh, those are a lot of great points. I I just can't take it away from Cincinnati on the field. I just, if you don't beat them, then you know, I was impressed with how they played against Georgia, period. And I was impressed that they went into South Bend and beat Notre Dame more impressively than 2017 Georgia did. Now, these are different times, but I think Georgia fans, if anyone can appreciate the difficulty of winning in South Bend, and I've made a few trips there with other programs, that's a really tough place to play. You're not just playing the Irish. You're usually playing the referees too. And for Cincinnati to go in there and win that sort of showdown, that that was a big boy game. They were more impressive against Tulane, a common opponent, uh, than Oklahoma was. Um, But not more so than Ole Miss was. Well, Ole Miss isn't in the discussion. Well, that's my point. That's why Cincinnati shouldn't be either.
3: Tulane's won one game this year.
2: Tennessee was more impressive against Missouri than Georgia was.
0: But but the point is, is, though, Mike, over the course of the last three weeks, first of all, Georgia won 43-6. How bad do you want to beat them? I mean, mean, (laughs) how many points do do they have to beat them? The point is, is, it's three weeks in a row against teams that are power-rating the bottom 25 of the country –
2: and they're eking out victories. Well, I don't know about eking out. Maybe they're not blowing them out, but they, they're a defensive-minded team like Georgia. If you look at the statistics, um, you know, they're doing what they need to do to win. And as long as you stay unbeaten, I think you should control your destiny. Uh, you know, they did step out and play a Big Ten team, albeit Indiana has faded since then. The quarterback's been injured, and they haven't been quite as competitive as many of us thought they would be based off last year. Uh, but winning at Notre Dame, and, and like I said, the way they showed up against Georgia left an impression on me. Uh, Georgia doesn't win that game if JT Daniels doesn't bring him down the field and, and Jack Podlesny doesn't kick a 54-yard field goal. It took Georgia's best to beat Cincinnati. Now, Georgia was missing a few players, but you know what? So was Cincinnati. They were missing their best corner, and their left tackle got suspended for the second half, and Aziz Adjulari, uh ate the quarterback for lunch. But I, I was impressed with Cincinnati. I can't take it away. I, I can't sit here, and, and I think I'm a pretty smart guy, but I can't sit here and say, well, you know what? Michigan State beat Michigan, but I think Michigan's better. You know, that's horse crap. You know, they play the game for a reason. Head-to-head needs to matter. Um, you can't take that away from those kids. They took it away from Cincinnati last year for 34 to 10 lost Notre Dame team said, you know what, even though Cincinnati went unbeaten in the regular season, we're still going to punish you. And unlike Georgia, which rolled over to Texas when they didn't get their way, Cincinnati still showed up in that bowl game and pushed Georgia around for most of the night, even though they had a playoff spot stolen by a team that just lost 34-10. to 10. So we all sat back and said, well, look at this, Cincinnati's going to play Notre Dame. Now we're going to see. You know what, they went in there and they won. I don't think you can take it away from them two years in a row if they go undefeated. If that happens, that's criminal. Unless all the teams in front of them are also undefeated.
0: You got anybody else in the playoff?
2: Well, you were talking about Cincinnati, so sure. Well, no, we're I, talking about the,
0: the the whole thing. But I mean, if, if if anybody else. Well, yeah, I have other. I'm going to put
2: four teams in, just like everybody. I'm not just going to. Well, can it we? Up. I mean, can we get to yeah. it? <laughs> can we get, yeah. Come on. yeah I I think I'm with Connor on Oregon winning out um, even though they've got a really really ugly loss to Stanford if we want to start picking on teams Uh, that's a really really ugly loss Um, but they beat Ohio State head-to-head in a noon eastern time kickoff which I still can't believe Fox Sports did that that was awful Uh, and then then the final the final game it comes down to Ohio State Michigan and and uh, at least I think it does. I think either one of those teams would beat the West opponent. Although Wisconsin is suddenly, you know, playing really well. Um, I, the game's in Ann Arbor, but but Connor's too young to recognize this what is it's like spoken. a John
0: Bottom drum solo. I mean, it's just like <laughs> <laughs> a smoking.
2: It's like I'm team back there, you know, I'm smoking a cigarette.
0: I'm just you know, kicking back, relaxing. Mike's Are
2: you the only one, one that's thing. allowed to ramble on here for five minutes at a time, Brandon? I thought we could all yes, yes. Hold back. on, and, hold and, on. No, know, I talk the least on there is nobody. Talks less on cover four than I do. I talk the least on this show of anybody. <laughs> That's fascinating. <laughs> I'm going to take the Michigan-Ohio State winner. I'm going to take Ohio State um, in that game. So, I'm going to go with Ohio State as my fourth. Fantastic. Uh, Jeff, how about you? You have four? Yeah, I think
1: – I'm, I'm kind of smelling what Connor's cooking right there. I'm going to condense it. I, I, I see Alabama at two now, maybe Alabama at four. If Auburn – if Auburn, uh, pops Auburn pops Alabama in the mouth, then the whole question is who's your four – I wonder what would be more pearl clutching and more uh, outcry. Is it to get Oklahoma in there again with a impressive Heisman Trophy contender with the brilliant offense, or is it the Cincinnati Legion right there? I think those will be two competing things right there. I like Oklahoma in the middle. I guess you could say Ohio State in the middle there as well. But um, it's kind of funny. Brandon, right, right, you are talking about the drum solo. So, like, I've I, everybody's, I got some friends that are at the Rolling Stones concert tonight, and they're all going crazy because uh, Zach Brown Band covered a Queen song in the middle of it. The, they had the opening act, and that made me think about um, the drum solo, which was like yeah. the universe kind of spinning in that direction. But, I mean, the four is the four. I mean, does Georgia, are Georgia fans really going to pay attention to the four? Do they want a gangbusters four? Do they want the four most dynamic programs in there? Do they want the path of least resistance? I think most Georgia fans want to get Alabama again if they can. Uh, you know, they probably would get them in the, in, in the SEC championship game and then that would settle all bets. But uh, the the thing there is I, I still think – I'm kind of with if – if it comes down to Oklahoma, brand name, Cincinnati, all these great sad puppies that will be squealing in the middle of the night if Cincinnati doesn't make it in there, I think the Sooners would be getting in there.
0: I have a sneaking yeah.
3: suspicion
0: this committee doesn't like Oklahoma very much. But go ahead. Ken.
3: I mean, they're 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 still at eight, and I would say Oklahoma's only getting in if they are undefeated. If they lose one game, uh, even if it is to an Oklahoma State team that is, I believe, ranked 10th right now, uh, o- the only way Oklahoma gets in is if they themselves are undefeated, just given how unimpressive they have been this season.
0: I tell you this is going to be interesting. Let's do this. Let's try to do this quick, sure enough, because uh, uh, I'm going to forego my top four because t- I want to ask this question. Um Give me a team currently ranked ninth or above, not Michigan State. They don't count because I don't think anybody would say Michigan State. Give me a team that's not making the playoff. Because you can go to some sports books. You, you can bet no on teams to not make the playoff. You can bet against a team making the playoff. So give me a team ranked in the top nine that you would say right now, not Michigan State. They don't count. Give me a team that you don't think is making the college football playoff. Uh, Connor, I'll start with you. I Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Like
3: Cincinnati, they're not – this committee has shown they have – not just this committee, every single college football playoff committee has shown they have no interest in putting a group of five team in the playoff. I can guarantee you, regardless of what Cincinnati does on Saturday and I don't know who they're playing, if Oklahoma beats Baylor, Oklahoma is going to jump Cincinnati and they, they could win by one point in a uh, 2018 Cheese it Bowl type game, It'd be the ugliest game ever. But if Oklahoma beats number 13 Baylor – Oklahoma is going to jump Cincinnati. I do not think Cincinnati is getting into the playoff.
0: I'm not trolling, Mike, when I say this. I actually think Notre Dame is a better chance to make the playoff. Than Cincinnati.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I know that's terrible, but I really do
0: believe that's true. Uh, Mike, give me a team ranked in the top nine that you would bet no on not to make the playoff. Michigan State doesn't count.
2: Yeah, Notre Dame. I mean, they lost head-to-head at home to Cincinnati. You can't. There's no way they could do that after what happened last year, after they lost at home. Because I don't think Cincinnati's going to lose. Now there's a chance SMU might upset them, but I predict Cincinnati runs the table. And if Cincinnati makes it, they don't make it as higher than probably a probably the three seed. There's a lot of a lot of games teams could still lose, but I can't see Notre Dame passing Cincinnati. And I think Cincinnati uh, makes it as a French playoff team.
0: Uh, Jeff, give me a team top nine or above not to make the playoffs.
1: I I think this is fairly self-evident to me that I think that's Michigan. I think Ohio State's going to take them out. That's the the team I don't think uh, that will make it into this.
0: Yeah, I'm not as confident. I believe if I'm going to have fun with my pick, I believe my no would be Oklahoma, either because of a loss or somehow, some way just getting excluded. There's something weird kind of going on with Oklahoma right now. First of all, they haven't played particularly well. Maybe they still do. Caleb Williams coming into his own there. There's a little something going on with Oklahoma right now that I think is worth following here a little bit. They would be my no pick, I think, for right now. I'll kind of go
3: ahead. I don't want to take time away from BA here, but could you imagine the outrage if, let's say, like, let's say Alabama uh, gets to the SC championship game, but they lose to Georgia? Imagine the outrage of the college football public if they take a two-loss Alabama over an undefeated Oklahoma. I mean, and you, they've you never Mike done out.
0: that. They've no, never done this. There has
3: never been a two-loss team to make the college football playoff. And- but
0: they've also never chosen a team with a worse record over a Power 5 team that was unbeaten, right? Correct. Yeah, so that would be, that'd be breaking precedent. Something, something's going on here. I, I don't think there's a lot of support for Oklahoma right now. And I think it's a thousand reasons. It's maybe no reasons. And I could just be wrong. But I, I, I sort of get the impression that there's not a lot of love for Oklahoma out there right now. Connor, give me a team in this nine like Brandon scenario
1: there that you think if it comes down to them in Cincinnati, Cincinnati would get in.
0: Wake Forest. If Wake Forest was Our still on the then they would one. have been well, over would... Wake Forest.
3: You think so? Yeah, if
0: because uh, look, Wake Forest has got fewer students at Mill Creek High School. I mean, if you're gonna like, um if you're gonna take a school that's bad for business, a playoff, you might as well take the group of five school at that point in time and shut all these people up on Twitter. They're always whining about it. Um if undefeated Wake Forest was out there, I honestly think they might would have taken Cincinnati over undefeated Wake. I think Wake losing was actually bad for Cincinnati.
3: I, I think so I, I think Wake is probably a good one though. I, I would have been interested. I, I I'm really excited to see them play NC State and Clemson these next two weeks. Um a one law like let uh no, because then if Michigan State beats – a, a one-loss Michigan State can't happen uh, to where they don't win the Big Ten. But I would say potentially, you know, I think they take a one-loss uh, non-Big Ten champion Michigan State over um, Cincinnati. But I'm not – that scenario I don't believe can happen.
0: I mean, keep this in mind, too. We haven't seen the Pac-12 in the playoffs since 2016. I think that if it's a close choice, I think it will be some motivation to include Oregon in the in the playoff. I mean, especially with all the – you know the weird mm-hmm. stuff that's kind of going on with the future of that uh, of that event. You know, people want expansion, things like that. You know, there's there's going to be every opportunity to consider the Pac-12 if it kind of comes down to that. We'll take a couple comments here as part of our cover more, and we'll let you get out of there after that. Somebody asked the same question a million times, um, so I want to make sure we get this answered. Somebody asked about uh, slow starts for Georgia on offense. Now, my answer to that question is. When you're leading the SEC in yards per play, when you're averaging nearly 40 points per game, I care more about how Georgia's finishing offensively than how it's starting. But, Mike, that seems like the kind of question that's right up your alley. So I'll let you take that one.
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, Kirby's told us that, you know, the style they're playing right now isn't designed to just jump out and get points. It's You want to pound teams. I mean, uh, Georgia, they should be averaging yards, big yards per play because they're a shot team. I mean, they pound, pound, punt, pound, pound, punt, pound, pound over the top 50 yards. I mean, they this that's what they are. And as, as now, that's what they've been with the Stetson. They haven't thrown over 20 passes in a game with the Stetson. So does that continue? Well, until somebody forces them to do more, why would they do more? You know, why would you throw it 30 to 40 times and be explosive and have a, you know, historic offense like, LSU or Clemson, when you, or Alabama, when you can be setting defensive records, which is what George is en route to doing. So to me, it's a matter of style and Kirby, and it's a matter of personnel, as we talked about earlier, with some of the injuries in the receiving core. They don't have a lot of depth there. So you're going to play to the strength of your team. You do have very good tight ends. You're very deep there. You're very deep running back rotation. So you're going to play to your talent, your strengths, your depth. And when the receivers get healthy, then it makes sense maybe to open things up a little bit more. Or if you get forced out of your comfort zone. But, you know, when you're, as you said, when you're winning games comfortably, I mean, it's, you know, Florida, we may have seen a quarterback change without the 21 points there in the two and a half minutes. Kentucky, 14 to seven, never really felt like Kentucky was a threat in that game. Uh, Missouri, although they led three to zero, I don't think anybody believed that that was going to hold up. Uh, regardless if Georgia had to hit a fourth down play to score in the first quarter. So I think Kirby's got confidence in his defense. I think he's got confidence in field position football. It reminds me a lot of what I saw from Mark Antonio at Michigan State, Gene Stallings at Alabama. Um, it's it's old school DCIC, defensive coordinator in charge. Just don't get his beat on offense. But they're scoring nearly forty points uh, we're again. talking about the start of games here ba you can't turn the question into what you want to fit your narrative well, no they're, i but i but i said before like there's a reason games. why i
0: don't care how they're i mean i answered the question by saying i don't care how they're starting because well that's what you asked me though i am answering I
2: why they're having slow start the games because kirby smart knows eventually they're going to pound and set up the shot play eventually they'll break he has confidence that the defense will hold long enough for him to be patient with the offense and not risk the turnover that could create momentum for the other teams. So that's why you play field position, high percentage football coming out of the gate.
0: Um, a couple more comments. We'll get ready to get out of here here today. Uh, I'm trying to find something we haven't already discussed. Um, Jeff, a moment ago somebody asked about uh, the idea of playing Alabama twice, saying nobody wants to have to do that. I mean, is there any doubt in your mind that the toughest opponent that Georgia could play anywhere in the country is still Alabama?
1: Yeah, I think so. Not just because it's the on-field and the, what the stats say and what the rankings say. It's just the enigma that it is Alabama. I don't. I don't know if there's a Georgia national championship season that just feels right without taking down, taking down the, taking down the man, taking down the Ming Dynasty. I think. I think all of us could probably agree, even though as much as we can craft narratives to the zig and zag nation, if we wanted to. Uh, it just won't feel right for Georgia to win a national championship if it does not, it does not include a W over Alabama.
3: Yes, it will. Um, that is so wrong. If they don't play Alabama, that national title is going to taste all the sweeter for Georgia fans. I'm sure Alabama did, fans will find a way to chirp about it, but for a program that has been so starved for a championship for so long and one that still has to beat other elite teams, it, it doesn't matter who they play. As long as they're the other team holding the trophy on January 11th, it's going to feel pretty sweet.
0: In this house, there is no nitpicking over how national championships are won. <laughs> but I mean, I, I get the point. I, I get the point that you're saying. However, Connor, something else that Jeff said a little earlier that I don't quite know that I believe as much anymore that this I, look, I'm guessing that Alabama still plays well against Georgia in December. And I still think they're the second best team in the country. But this idea that they're suddenly going to flip a switch and be some version that's commensurate with what we've typically come to expect from Alabama. I don't think that's happening because that switch would have been flipped a long time ago. Uh, Something is just a little less than with Alabama here this year. Now, it could still be good enough to win the national championship, but this team is a poor comparison to recent Alabama teams. No doubt about that.
3: Last week's result really made me question whether a two-loss Alabama team is going to get into the college football playoff because that was about as poor as Alabama has played for a while uh, you know, obviously, in a game they still managed to win, obviously. But at home, coming off a bye week, to only beat an LSU team, lame duck, missing a ton of dudes, to only beat them by st- by six, the same yeah. number of rushing yards you have in that game, that's not a performance that any Alabama team has had. So I think going forward, uh, I, you know, this Alabama team is going to have to continue to play well and impress going forward because they have essentially wiped out their margin for error even because they are Alabama – with the loss to Texas A&M and then the unimpressive performance against both Florida now and LSU. Mike, I don't know if
0: we've heard you say this. Do you think Alabama's second best team in the country?
2: Uh. Man, that's tough. You know, do I think they deserve to be ranked number 2? No. Do I think if we were playing a battle royale, they would be the other team left standing probably?
0: mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Yeah. Probably, but
2: but not not to your point, you know. And you know, this is a whole another discussion. But if, if if things follow suit and this Georgia team wins a national title, and by the way, for the Alabama comparison, they are the first team since nineteen ninety two Alabama not to allow any of their first nine opponents to score more than thirteen points. Wow. Also worth noting, Josh Heupel has never scored less than fourteen as a head coach, and has scored twenty or more in 44 or 45 games so i think that's some interesting numbers there yeah for sure But would we if we're being honest about it put this team on a platform with 2020 alabama or 2019 lsu or 2018 clemson
0: no i wouldn't i I wouldn't and that's not there's nothing wrong with not being the all-time greatest team i also don't think 2020 alabama is nearly as good as 2019 lsu either um uh I, i think that for me In recent years, we have seen teams that are in the historically good conversation. I think LSU 2019 is the one that really deserves to be there. Last year happened. The the championship counts. I'm not saying it doesn't, but I'm not putting a pandemic team up next to what LSU did, rolling through the schedule they did in 2019, handling business the way they did. This Georgia team right now does not have the feeling, I would say, of a historically good team, but I really don't care that much about that either. I, I I'm just trying to see Georgia be the best team in the country right now. <laughs> yeah. um, that, that That's really the only thing that matters to so me. I, I, Go ahead, I have final. a
3: question. If this Georgia defense gives up less than 13 points every game of the year, does that change your answer, including winning a national title?
0: That's a really – yeah, I think that you're bringing up a good point. That there is a chance that things could happen that would force me to reconsider that where I say, well – hey they certainly did it differently than recent teams have done it but maybe they were really so good because they just never yielded i still think there's going to be a moment where someone's going to score enough against georgia that forces just forces a little bit different kind of game out of georgia And that's not disrespecting the defense that's just describing what college football kind of is i mean it's just one of those games where it's it's hard to keep offenses completely at bay for an entire season but uh but jeff connor's right we'll let you have the last word we'll wrap up the show that while I don't really put this current Georgia team in the category of historically good teams as of yet, there's a lot of football left to be played and some big opponents where Georgia could certainly prove itself in that regard.
1: Yeah. I I guess I'm just going to feel differently than, than both you and Connor do on this one. And everybody's entitled to think what they want to think. But to me, if you want to think about a team that's bound for greatness and wants to put its stamp on being great. I, I think the thing is like, I don't care how we get to the national championship as long as the, the trophies up in the air, that, that, that kind of sounds to me like it's a little uh, Georgia wants, If Georgia wants to become the, an all-time great team, I think you got to have a W versus Alabama next to that schedule, not just because it's breaking the, the drought since 1980, but I think it's proving once and for all that Georgia's best team can take down King Saban and Alabama uh, when they're in the way. I think, I think it just makes it uh, – I think it just makes it complete. And uh, that's what, what I have to say about that.
0: Well, here's what i would say also. I mean, unfortunately for Georgia, who obviously trying to get over the hump against Alabama, the one thing that Georgia fans should always remember is that maybe Georgia's winning against Alabama would have already taken place if Alabama qualified for the SEC championship more frequently than it does. Georgia has played in the SEC title game three times under Kirby Smart. Alabama's only qualified for that game one of those three instances, and it's no guarantee Alabama qualifies again this year either. So, for the Georgia fan who's always hearing from Bama fans about how you can't get over the hump against Alabama, unfortunately, Alabama has a hard enough time getting over the hump in the SEC West to give George the game that gives it a chance to get the marquee when it needs to get. So, you know, some of this sometimes is about, uh, you know, who's the one spinning the propaganda? Mike, I see your hand in the air. And we'll give you the last word.
2: I've seen a couple of comments about the Smith injury, just so people know that that wasn't a contact injury. So, answering a question that wasn't completely asked outright, yeah. Tuesday, bloody Thank Tuesday. You is when they scrimmage, but just talking with people, that was not a contact injury.
0: I'm glad that you brought that back in the conversation because that was certainly a comment, certainly earlier in the show, uh, and I'm probably still now as well, so I'm glad that you all uh, brought that up. Uh, appreciate you doing that. Oh, by the way, G. Grace Bama voice in here. I made him mad about that. Uh, he deserves that for all the times he makes everybody else mad in the comment section too. All right, appreciate y'all being here. Cover for live. Hope you have a good night. Uh, big day from us tomorrow on Dog Nation Daily. We'll have Jeff Sintel. We'll do a lot. Recruiting stuff with uh, Jeff heading towards uh, really a hot Come, time here. Commitment watch. Commitment watch for sure. Okay. Uh, really, just shortly after uh, we're done, uh, Georgia could be adding a big piece for that class of 2022. So that would be exciting and it would be more fun to watch Florida squirm. Uh, so that wouldn't be a bad thing at all on that. Uh, Jeff, uh, I should say Mike Griffith, Con Raleigh also get you covered for all the action uh, throughout the weekend, Mayor from Knoxville there. In fact, Mike's already on the ground. Uh, getting ready to enjoy himself and uh, give you all the coverage there for the uh, dog. So good stuff. We will see you back here next week for more cover for live. Have a great night, everybody, and we look forward to talking to you again. <laughs>